Welcome to episode 11 of the Analytically Speaking podcast series. This episode will discuss recent advances in near-infrared vibrational spectroscopy from new discoveries to the latest in applications. I'm Jerry Workman, the Senior Technical Editor of Spectroscopy and your podcast host. Thanks to our listeners for joining us for a deeper look into all things measured with light. Spectroscopy is the study of the interaction of electromagnetic radiation, commonly referred to as light, with matter. In this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Professor Yukihiro Ozaki, who is a professor emeritus in the School of Science and Technology at Kwan Gakuin University in Japan. He has been a guest professor or scientist at Kobe University in the Toyota Physical and Chemical Research Institute. Yuki is involved in studies of a wide range of molecular spectroscopy, covering from far ultraviolet to far infrared terahertz spectroscopy and also Raman spectroscopy. He is a rather rare scientist who has completed research studies in both electronic and vibrational spectroscopy. Yuki has been a member of the Society for Applied Spectroscopy for more than 30 years and a fellow since 2013. He has received several awards, including the Bowman Michelson Award, the Chemical Society of Japan Award, the Medal with Purple Ribbon, the Pittsburgh Spectroscopy Award, and the Charles Mann Award. We have invited Yuki to our Analytically Speaking podcast to discuss his research in near-infrared spectroscopy. Well, Yuki, thank you for joining us today. So thank you, Jerry, for uh, inviting me to Analytically Speaking podcast. So uh, let us start, okay? Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, we're very excited to have Mm -hmm. you all the way from Japan today. (laughs) Yeah. So Yuki, please tell our audience a little about your history in exploring near-infrared spectroscopy and chemometrics. So originally, uh, I'm a Raman spectroscopist. This year, uh, I was celebrated uh, with the uh, uh, 50th anniversary of my Raman research. Okay. And I started NIR spectroscopy about 35 years ago. So when I was uh, assistant uh, professor, uh, yeah, uh, at that time I was assistant professor of GK University School of Medicine. At that time, I thought NIR spectroscopy was promising as a non-invasive tool for medical diagnostics. My first NIR study was uh, to uh, monitor in vivo oxy and deoxy hemoglobin in a blood or back of hand. This study was quite successful and I got a big congratulations from Carl Norris. I plan to continue a medical application of Raman spectroscopy in the medical school, but in 1989, I got an associate professor position at chemistry department of Kansai Gakuin University. So I switched my NIR research from medical application to basic studies. So I started uh, studies of uh, uh, NIR spectra of basic uh, basic uh, molecules such as alcohol, 
fatty acids and amides. In the uh, first half of 90s, the basic studies of NIR spectroscopy were far behind uh, its uh, application. So as a, a spectroscopist, I put some emphasis on basic studies of NIR spectroscopy, such as uh, band assignment, spectra, structure, correlation, and hydrogen bonding studies. So oh, I, I, I think I was uh, uh, one of the pioneers of using FTNIR spectroscopy. I started using FTNIR in 1993. Uh, so oh, by using FTNIR, uh, I, I was involved in uh, basic studies application to physical uh, chemistry. So uh, it was uh, quite uh, you know, uh, exciting for, for us to study uh, NIR spectra of uh, basic molecules using FT-NIR. I, then I recognized that chemometric is also very important even for basic studies. So I decided study as uh, I decided to uh, use chemometrics for uh, our NIR uh, for our uh, NIR uh, study. So I think yes, this is the, uh, my uh, history of NIR spectroscopy uh, in last century. I think that's all, okay? Yes, that's very interesting, yes. Uh, you started as a Raman spectroscopist and then moved into the theory. I know that many people were just very empirical with near-infrared and they would develop a model and say, hey, it works, you know, so there's a lot of, lot behind that. So just to follow up on that, would you briefly explain uh, the generalized concept of how chemometrics is used for modeling with near-infrared spectroscopic data? So I am not specialist of uh, chemometrics, so I don't know uh, I can uh, answer very uh, nicely, but as far as I know, uh, uh, not only NIR data, uh, but also other spectroscopy data, uh, uh, matrix data. So chemometrics is multivariate analysis of matrix uh, data. So chemometrics allows to uh, investigate uh, similarity or distance among the data and reduction of dimension of matrix uh, data. So this is a, a very important point. In any case, uh, to run chemometrics, you need basic knowledge of statistics. I think uh, uh, before you uh, run chemometrics, you should deepen your knowledge of statistics. Oh, that's a good mm -hmm. point. Um, and of course, we all know that the, the chemometrics 
is used for pre-processing spectra and for quantitative and qualitative analysis. So there's yes, different yes, yes, sets yes. of tools. Right, 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 right. All right, well, thank uh, you. And also the uh, uh, pre-treatment of spectral data is very, very important for chemometrics. Well, good, that's a good point to remember. Um, in one of your recent summary papers, and I'm going to remind the listeners that all of the papers and references that we discuss are listed in the podcast post, so they can refer to those there. But in one of your recent summary papers, you describe um, your significant efforts in your research group to unravel complicated NIR spectra, and that you've worked on this, as you'd mentioned, for over three decades. What are a few of the main discoveries that you have made in trying to uh, find the theory behind the NIR spectra or to uh, assign these spectra? Okay, uh, so during uh, for during last three decades, I always uh, recognized NIR spectras NIR spectra are complicated. Uh, this is rather uh, natural because the IR and the Raman uh, spectra uh, concerned with uh, uh, fundamental, while NIR deals with their overtones and combinations. So uh, to unravel uh, complicated NIR spectra, we have to use various methods uh, such as conventional spectral analysis and chemometrics, uh, or even uh, you know uh, quantum chemical uh, calculations. So you know, uh, for the last uh, thirty years or so, I really, I have really fighted with uh, complicated NIR spectra, okay? So I use many, many things, conventional uh, spectral analysis, uh, chemometrics, 2D correlation analysis, uh, uh, MCR, or quantum chemical calculations, and all are very, very important. But sometimes chemometrics is more important, sometimes uh, quantum chemical calculation is important. And sometimes combination of chemometrics and uh, quantum chemical calculation is important. But most important point is uh, to use conventional spectral analysis method. For example, band assignment, uh, structure, uh, uh, spectra correlation, uh, second derivative, uh, different spectra, and these things. And also, uh, also, uh, um, also, uh, spectra pretreatments are always very, very important. But chemometrics is definitely major. And recent, uh, my discovery is uh, quantum chemical calculation is very promising, even for uh, NIR spectroscopy. All right. And, you know, 
we're going to say more about this during this podcast, but um, in our my next question to you is that you've applied two-dimensional correlation spectroscopy to the study of near-infrared spectra. What did what were the advantages of using that technique, and what specifically did you learn using um, two-dimensional correlation spectroscopy? 2D correlation spectroscopy is uh, sometimes very useful, but sometimes a bit difficult. Okay, and uh, so depends on the uh, uh, samples uh, spectra you can use two-dimensional correlation spectroscopy. Sometimes it's uh, not easy to use uh, two-dimensional correlation spectroscopy, particularly for spectra with high noise, okay? And the uh, uh, characteristic of two-dimensional correlation spectroscopy is that, I mean, the nodes to uh, the correlation spectroscopy uh, has uh, synchronous and asynchronous uh, spectra. And synchronous spectra uh, deals with uh, uh, spectral changes e-phase, while asynchronous uh, spectra treat spec spectral changes uh, out of phase. Okay, so so synchronous and asynchronous spectra are characteristic for nodes to the cost. And uh, uh, its advantage uh, is first uh, resolution enhancement. Okay, uh, sometimes you get the uh, nice resolution enhancement using uh, uh, two-dimensional correlation spectroscopy. Also, of course, correlation between bands. For for example, if there is a hydrogen bond between OH group and C double bond O, there should be a clear correlation between OH stretching and C double bond O stretching in uh, two-dimensional correlation spectroscopy spectra. Of course, first orbiton and second orbiton show clear correlation in 2D correlation. Uh, spectroscopy spectra. And most interesting and important advantage is asynchronous spectra can determine the order of spectral changes. Okay, the order of spectral changes. In other words, the order of uh, events occurring during the uh, uh, perturbation. Okay. So uh, please note that in when you use uh, 2D correlation spectroscopy, you always need uh, perturbation. So you have to correct temperature-dependent spectra or concentration-dependent spectra, uh, and so on. So uh, uh, the uh, uh, you must be careful about the. Uh, uh, ghost peak in 2D correlation spectroscopy spectra. Uh, quite often, heavy noise uh, produced ghost peak in uh, asynchronous spectra. So even for 2D correlation spectroscopy, uh, 
spectral pretreatment, very important. Denoising and also mean centering and also baseline correction and something like that. Uh-huh, yes. Those are good points. Um, you've also performed the analysis of the temperature-dependent spectra variations of water using near-infrared difference spectra. Could you tell us what you've learned from these studies? NIR spectra of water consist of uh, two major bands assignable uh, to uh, strong hydrogen bonding and weak hydrogen bond, two major, okay? And uh, uh, by using MCR ALS, uh, you can uh, divide uh, these two bands uh, into two, these, uh, this broad water band uh, into two bands due to weakly hydrogen bonding and that due to uh, strong, uh, stronger hydrogen bonding. So uh, when you use uh, analysis of temperature-dependent spectral variation, you can uh, determine uh, using MCR ARS, you can determine uh, variation of molar fractions of strongly hydrogen bonding and weakly hydrogen bonding species. Okay? Yes. And are you saying MCR ARS? Yes. That's the approach you take. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. And could you explain for our listeners what exactly is a quantum chemical calculation study of NIR spectra? And what did you learn from those studies? Okay. So uh, quantum chemical calculations based on quantum mechanics, okay? Uh, it's not complicated thing, just simple application of quantum uh, mechanics. And chemical, chemical, uh, quantum chemical calculation studies started about the, uh, uh, I think, uh, 35 years ago or something like that. It started with uh, infrared spectroscopy. And in 90s, it ex expanded, it ex uh, extended to Raman spectroscopy. But uh, in those days, only usual uh, techniques are used. But uh, for uh, NIR, you need unharmonic calculation is definitely needed. Therefore, application to NIR spectros, application of quantum chemical calculation to NIR spectroscopy was uh, far behind uh, those of IR and Raman uh, spectroscopy. But nowadays, uh, you can easily uh, obtain uh, software for unharmonic uh, quantum chemical calculation. Uh, calculation. So uh, even if you do not have deep understand of quantum mechanics, you can try to uh, calculate uh, 
you can try to uh, reproduce uh, NIR spectra using quantum chemical calculations. But a uh, difficult point of uh, this is there are so many quantum, uh, uh, so many uh, methods for uh, harmonic calculation. So you have to select uh, a harmonic uh, calculation method from uh, software package. This is uh, a bit difficult point. But recently, uh, Christoph Bech is doing uh, very nice uh, jobs in uh, application of quantum chemical calculation to NIR uh, spectroscopy. He published a lot, so you can learn from uh, his studies. So he uh, actually, uh, he and I started quantum chemical calculation of NIR spectra uh, about 10 years ago in my group. And he moved to University of Innsbruck and he continues uh, quantum chemical calculation study. And uh, uh, you can learn from quantum chemical uh, calculation uh, reproduction of NIR spectra and also uh, Band assignments of uh, uh, band assignments is a case of reproduction of NIR spectra. For example, you can separately reproduce uh, spectra of transform and Gauche form. Okay, so you can uh, produce uh, spectra of isomers or several isomers independently. This is very uh, interesting and attractive points, okay? Also, uh, you can make band assignments even not only for uh, overtone, but also for combinations. Well, we'll try to post some of these um, links in the podcast post for listeners who are interested in following up and doing more research. Mm -hmm. um, would you recommend some available reference sources for obtaining group frequency tables for solid and liquid samples in the near-infrared region? Oh, so it's your book, Gary, okay? So your book, uh, your book, uh, I don't know, from uh, YD or uh, I forgot? I think CRC, right? Yes. Yeah, CRC, yeah. yes. Yeah. That is an excellent book. And... Uh, yeah, I, I strongly rec recommend your book. Okay? Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. We didn't rehearse this before, so mm -hmm. I appreciate yes. that. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, yes. Of, of course, um, there will be some links with the DOI numbers for some mm -hmm. of the papers that you've written that relate to this. Mm -hmm. Another question is, how is the use of second derivative absorbance band spectral treatment useful for identifying important bands and group frequency assignments? For near infrared. Mm -hmm. Second derivative uh, technique is one of the most important techniques in NIR spectroscopy analysis, I think. I always use uh, second derivatives. It is really nice, important. And yes, second derivative analysis gives information about group frequency assignments not directly, but uh, indirectly, I think, okay? 
yeah, quite often combination of second derivative analysis with uh, uh, perturbation-dependent spectral changes are very, very useful. Okay? All right. Mm -hmm. Well, good. Um, in another paper that uh, you've, you've written, um, you described a method for developing an amino acid sequence for peptides using near-infrared spectroscopy. In this particular work, you performed a detailed analysis of the NIR spectra of eight different amino acid aqueous solutions, which revealed different spectral patterns characteristic of different amino acid residues. Could you explain the data analysis techniques that you use for this? Oh, uh, uh, we strongly uh, relied on second derivative, okay? This is, uh, uh, you can, uh, if you read our paper, you can understand how uh, second derivative uh, is uh, useful. But we also use uh, a background subtracted uh, second derivative, okay? Uh, so we uh, subtracted the spectra of solutions, okay? So uh, second derivative is very, very important, okay? All right, well, again, we, for our listeners, we've uh, referred to that paper uh, on the information for references in this podcast. In that same paper, you reported being able to quantitatively monitor peptide synthesis with high accuracy. How did you accomplish this and why is that important? Oh, so uh, our goal is to carry out quantitative uh, uh, monitoring of uh, peptide synthesis. So uh, this is the uh, uh, most uh, important point. But uh, we simply use, uh, uh, you know, PLS, nothing but uh, PLS. Oh, so you applied uh, partial least squares to that? Yes, yes, that yes, 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 yes. Oh, very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, in a third paper, you reported an NIR method for monitoring the increasing number of amide bonds with the elongation of the chain length of peptides. Would you explain how near-infrared spectroscopy can be used to provide basic knowledge for analyzing amide bonds in proteins, polyamino acids, polypeptides, and polyamides? Mm -hmm. Uh, we published yeah, a nice paper, one in analytical chemistry, one in uh, analysis. These uh, studies uh, are very good, we think. But still, our uh, studies are incomplete, ongoing. Um, in other words, uh, studies on um, amide bonds in proteins, uh, polyamino acids, polypeptides and polyamides are not so easy. It's a very attractive research topic, but not so easy. And uh, so, but our point is, uh, our point is uh, to measure uh, various kind of uh, uh, peptides with uh, with different number of amino acids and with different uh, uh, order of uh, amino acids. So we still uh, continue investigating. 
But in any case, our study uh, provides uh, very good information about the, uh, uh, the content of uh, amide bonds uh, and also the order of uh, uh, amino acid uh, residues. We also plan to uh, compare NIR spectroscopy with studies of Raman and infrared. I'm sure, uh, you know, uh, uh, Raman and infrared uh, and NIR have different advantages and uh, disadvantages. To simply investigate secondary structure of proteins, I think the uh, IR or Rama spectroscopy is better. But to investigate the uh, uh, elongation of uh, each chain length or the order of uh, amino acid, NIR might be better, but we have to investigate more, okay? All right. Um what new instrument developments or applications would you like to see for near-infrared spectroscopy in the future? Okay, so uh, for instrument, I think the uh, uh, instruments, uh, I think uh, robot control instruments are very at attractive in the near future. Also instruments with uh, with uh, AI control or instrument with uh, AI uh, analysis are very, very attractive. And uh, also uh, NIR imaging, uh, 3D NIR imaging system is uh, now really necessary. And also the uh, uh, more light handheld instruments. You see, sometimes the handheld instrument is uh, still heavy, but uh, I think I, we need a, a more light, lighter uh, handheld instrument with imaging, okay? Handheld with imaging, okay? That is important. Also, uh, we should develop uh, instruments for medical diagnosis medical diagnosis or instruments for health. For example, health or cosmetic purpose. Uh, instrument which allows uh, to, to monitor water content in the skin. Okay, so applications uh, are also the uh, handy NIR instruments for soil or environment or construction are very promising. So as for applications, I think here environmental application, uh, health science application, or uh, construction, place for construction is uh, also very important, I think. Uh -huh. In any case, uh, a robot and AI or machine learning should play more importantly. Okay. Yeah, in that case, you, you could have quite a lot of automation, both in the, the mm -hmm. sample 
sample running, probably sample preparation, and then the calibration work. Yes. Mm -hmm. Many new applications. So what do you think that near-infrared spectroscopy, why do you think it's a leading analytical technique for use in process analysis, like specifically process analytical technology? Yeah, I think the, uh, currently NIR and Raman spectroscopy are both leading analytical techniques for use in uh, process analysis. Both are very uh, useful, okay? But each has uh, uh, different advantage and uh, uh, disadvantage. So even in the near future, I think both will be used depending upon samples, depending upon uh, uh, environment. Uh, NIR uh, spectroscopy, uh, sometimes uh, uh, spectral analysis is uh, uh, more difficult. But uh, uh, for six sample or uh, for six sample, NIR is uh, uh, sometimes better. Also, NIR can watch as a whole sample. On the other hand, Raman uh, uh, watches just one particular point in the uh, uh, flow system, for example. And Raman uh, may have the uh, fluorescence. And the, uh, uh, you have to, uh, you shouldn't uh, uh, forget, Lama may uh, give heat effect, of course, depending upon sample, okay? So both have advantage and disadvantage de depending on samples and conditions. But I'm thinking uh, both will be used uh, for reading analytical uh, techniques for PAT. Okay. Yes, very interesting. It looks like there's quite a lot of opportunity there. In uh, closing, what would you tell our audience is the big secret of near-infrared spectroscopy or what would you describe as its hidden capabilities? Okay, so uh, I don't think that is a big secret. But the uh, uh, most characteristic feature of NIR spectroscopy is non-destructive or non-invasive uh, non uh, uh, analysis. These are definitely important, okay, definitely important. And uh, other spectroscopic techniques cannot fight with NIR spectroscopy in uh, this point, non-destructive and non-invasive. So uh, this is not big secret, but very important point. So uh, uh, I think the uh, uh, NIR have the uh, uh, big future in uh, in uh, many uh, places. For example. Uh, for example, uh, uh, environmental uh, monitoring and also uh, monitoring in uh, forensic and also the uh, 
constructing uh, construction places okay uh, uh, yes uh, these uh, also of course medical applications and uh, uh, yes that is important point also uh, we should uh, develop uh, combination of chemometrics uh, machine learning and AI also quantum chemical calculation uh, should play a uh, very important role in NIR uh, spectroscopy so I think NIR spectroscopy will develop more in uh, theoretical aspect, uh, practical from theoretical aspect to uh, practical application. So we have to uh, <laughs> we have to study more. Uh, we have to study many many things from uh, uh, basic uh, you know quantum chemical calculation to uh, statistics, uh, machine learning. Uh, robotics and the AI. It's a heavy job, but we have the uh, big future. That's excellent. I just want to remind our listeners that there'll be a reference section that will be posted with the podcast where they can refer to both links to your research as well as some of the papers that were discussed today. And we thank you, Yuki, for this very informative discussion on your work. I'm sure our audience has learned a lot about near-infrared spectroscopy and new applications. And your discussion on this subject area has been very interesting and very informative. My thanks to all of our listeners and production and editing team that have worked to make this podcast possible. We invite our podcast audience to stay tuned to our next informative, analytically speaking, episode. And remember what Albert Einstein once said, the only source of knowledge is experience. Thank you.